When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. Ben, we're back today with part number two. I'm so excited about this. Yeah, I'm excited, too. Let's uh, let's hope we don't make it a three-parter. Yeah, we've got uh, a couple of these races, that you know, these exciting last laps that we want to mm-hmm. cover again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, last time it went pretty well in it, but we just yeah. ran a little bit long, right? Well, because we were having so much fun, which is a great problem to have. Uh, we strongly suggest that if you are just joining us now, that you go back and listen to the first part of our podcast. Uh, before you listen to this. Yeah, and, you know, not that you're going to miss anything, but I think that, you know, what you would miss is some exciting last lab moments, right? Because, uh, I mean, I think all of these up to this point have been, well, to me, very exciting. And uh, and we've got several more here to cover, so you want to jump right into it? Yes, without further ado, here we go. You sent a note to me with this one, the 2012 Talladega 500. Mm. I'm just going to read this quote. Uh there was a restart, three laps to go, all hell breaks loose on the final lap. And that's the only way to describe it. <laughs> that's the only way to describe this one, Ben. It's, it's seriously, that's exactly what happens because, I mean, we're, we're down to the final lap in the, uh, in the 2012 Talladega 500. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's in, uh, what, Lincoln, Alabama. It's a, it's a great big triumphal raceway. It's a, it's a super speedway, so it's a right. really fast race. Um, we get down to the, to the last couple of laps, I should say, because this is important. You need to watch like maybe the last three laps of this. Yeah, thing. to see the build. Yeah, yeah, because there's a restart with three laps to go, and uh, the cars. I mean, God, this is amazing that the speeds that they're, they're doing four four cars wide yeah. on, the, on the Talladega Super Speedway. So this is really like tight. tight, tight racing, right? I mean, enormous packs of racers. And um, I don't know how many cars left in the race at this point. There's still a lot. There's like right. I'm going to guess ballpark 30 cars left at this point in yes. the race yeah, a lot of fair. cars which is a lot for that point in the race because and that's what makes this this one maybe interesting is because at some point in a nascar race there's always a wreck that they call the big one yep this yeah. is um 
one of the biggest of the big ones too. Yeah. And it usually happens, you know, like middle of the race, at right? Mid race right? or something. That's, that's more typical. It's what usually happens because there's still a lot of cars on the track, like we mentioned. Right. You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of um, dicing going on. A lot of you know people trying to drive their way up to the front, right? Because they're they, trying to get their spot. They it, it's still early enough in the competition that you can you can really make some progress. Yeah, and with that much traffic involved, there's a lot of there's a lot that can happen, right? And you know, we, we know how important uh, drafting is and how, you know, the lift on the cars is so unusual when you get that close at that speed, you know, that it'll make the back end of another car light if you get up too close to the back end. And yeah. there's a lot that happens. So, you know, early on in the race is typically when the big one happens or, you know, somewhere midway in the race. But of course, we're talking about last laps last, in this show. Yeah, last lap. And and this is so crazy because, you know, we said there's 30 cars left or more at this point. Um, but man, I, I don't know. It's like maybe the announcer said it best when, when you know, the, the final lap, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, remember four wide at this point, and yeah. still four wide into the final lap. Um, we've got Matt Kenseth, Clint Boyer. They're they're both making contact. You know, on the second to last lap, there's a lot of shoving going on. Mm-hmm. So the the white flag flies, and the announcer says, "We're on the last lap. Will they make it back?" Yeah, and how, uh, how prophetic, huh? Well, let's just go ahead and play the clip. unfortunate tony stewart yeah this is uh what a disaster huh i mean they ended up hooking bumpers i guess you know there was uh there was some contact the uh i guess the uh stewart's car ends up on its side you know in the middle of the pack it flips up on top of someone i think was casey kane's car and you know there's just a it's a disastrous outcome for the end of the race i mean but Mm. very exciting this is a turn four wreck yeah. Um at, at Talladega or you know, was it turn is between turn three and four maybe? Um anyways it was it was right near the very end anyways. And uh I mean this is so bad that uh you know, of course uh Kenseth I think he kinda squirted out the front of this thing. He barely made it. Yeah. I mean just barely made it out. Right. I mean, you saw the car right behind him was taken out. Right. As were more than 20 other cars. Yeah, this is a huge, huge wreck. Now, what happens in that case? Of course, the caution comes out immediately. Right. It did give the win to um, Matt Kansas. Yeah, that's right. Um, but there was so much destruction, so much mayhem going on, and so much, you know, trying to figure out, like, who who crossed the line under their own power and when. And, yeah. you know, there's no way to just look at this and see what happened. They had to wait to officially call the race until long, long after. I think NASCAR officials said they took an hour just to determine the the final fifteen positions in the. Or, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the first fifteen positions in that race. I don't know how they even you know deciphered the rest of what was going on there. 
Yeah, I complex don't job. know either, and it's a it it really is a a heart stopping, unpredictable moment because again, you know, it's not as if these are unprofessional drivers. It's just it's a very tight track. They're very high speeds, and there are a lot of cars. Mm-hmm. And it happens because everybody's uh you know at that point in the race, you're getting desperate for for a position. You want a place? Yeah, because you want you know you want more points. You want more uh, you want more prize money, of course. Right. And uh, you know at that point. There's, a, I think I heard someone say at that point there's a point where, you know, you you decide that you know I I'm either going to win this thing, mm-hmm. or I'm going to completely lose it. Like we're going to lose this car. You know, that's yeah, the, that's right. the point. I don't know how I I think I'm paraphrasing what they said, but you know, at that point it's like if I see a gap, I'm going for it, and that's, right. that's the way it's going to be. Because if you if you don't perform well, you could lose your sponsorship. Exactly. Exactly. So. Want to move on to another open wheel racing yeah, incident? Let's, let's move on. Let's move on to something a little bit different because the last few things we checked on were kind of um, kind of big finishes in that the person who got first place due to an unforeseen circumstance ended up clearly right, clearly getting first place. Mm-hmm. But this one's a little different, right? Uh, a little bit different. Yeah, this one. Now this one's got a couple little footnotes that, as well that I think we need to mention, but. Um, this one we have to go back to the 1992 Indianapolis 500, and uh, this one, for race fans, they'll know that this is the closest finish in Indy racing history. Yeah, I believe it remains the closest. The closest finish. one-two finish oh, okay. in Indy racing okay, history. Enough, I've got, I'm going to qualify that. In there a we go. Okay? I was waiting for it. So the closest one-two finish in Indy, Indy history. Now you know it's a 500 mile race, right? Yes. It's that's 200 laps because it's a two and a half mile rectangular oval. So there's a lot that can happen in this race. There's a lot of a lot of time, a lot of distance, right? Mm-hmm. And now, just to give you an idea of the speeds, now this is a really fast, fast race. The Indy 500, even back in 1992, was a fast race. They were still traveling at speeds of, uh, I think, around 225. Okay, and that's an average, and that's for uh, two races in particular. You or know what? Races. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back on that for just one second. Yeah. I may that may or may not be true. The night. Uh, t- Two twenty-five. I'm going to have to check my notes on that okay. one. But but I, you know, super fast. Excess of two hundred. You think Ex- that's oh, fair? Oh, definitely. Because yeah. when All I was right. living there, they were in excess of two hundred. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking two twenty-five is not far off. Okay. Um, but again, that was like fourteen years ago now. At this point, or thir- so so we've got ago. we've got two guys with whom this story is, is concerned. No, and no, Ben, that was twenty years ago. Oh come on! Don't make us feel twenty old. years ago. Okay, this is twenty <laughs> years ago. My uh, gosh, it was more than twenty years. I'm gonna work on my math. <clears throat> it was like twenty-one years All ago. Right. <laughs> All right, so let me set the scene here. Okay. All right, so there's a, a battle between uh, Little Al, who is Al Under Junior, uh-huh. and Scott Goodyear, and it's it's happening over the last several laps of the race. Now, if you watch the video that you know clip that we're gonna give you, um, you'll see the race with about seven laps remaining, something like that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, now, but but even though that seven laps, this is how fast they're going. That's two and a half miles around. That's only like four minutes of racing, right? So it happens extremely fast. Lap times are incredibly quick. Um, now both drivers were in what they call full race gear. Now that doesn't mean the way they're dressed. Right. That means uh, they were in the uh, gear of their vehicle. Exactly. They were in something other than their economy or cruising mode. Mm-hmm. Um, they were in like the full, flat-out, fastest an IndyCar can go gear. It was opened up. Exactly. Wide open, flat-out racing for the last several laps for both of these drivers, right? And I'm talking like a really a tight, tight race. I mean, there's a lot of like you know, kind of dodging, trying to get around mm-hmm. the next driver. Mm-hmm. Now, interesting thing to mention here is that. Um, 
Now, little Al, he got his start in go-karts and sprint cars. So he was kind of, he was really good at preventing somebody from passing them, because, passing him, because right. <laughs> that was, a, that's, you know, the name of the game in those sports, right? Yes. Now you do the same thing in any car, but there's a, a little more danger in that, you know, the open wheels and you don't want to launch over the car in front of you, that type of thing. Um, but, you know, if you touch wheels, you're, you're done pretty much. It can happen, but it, it's really rare that, you know, someone, someone, makes it through that without there's ending a, up in the wall. There's a reason that it's not an accepted and common strategy. Exactly. So, you know, he's really good at doing this. But on the final lap, now there's no lap traffic to worry about or anything like that. Mm. You know, they're they're all on their own here. Um, Goodyear finally starts reeling him in because, you know, there's a little bit of different distance between them. Um, and eventually he makes his move on the front straight. Now, he tries to pass on the inside, but Lila holds him off for the, for the win. Mm-hmm. But... Barely, and I mean barely. When I say barely, I mean like a matter of feet. Right. In a different uh, equivalence, this could be maybe one coarse horsehair of a difference if you're talking indie, because it's less than a car length. Yeah, I can I can tell you how close it was yeah. exactly. Now I'll tell you that if you're watching from the stands, it may have been confusing as to who won. It was that close. It's right? like a photo finish. It's, it's pretty close. Now I mean. You gotta remember, like, something passing that quickly, it's tough to, to get that straight in your head what, what, what you're seeing at that yes. moment. You almost have to see a photo of it afterwards or really think about, like, okay, he was ahead at that point. Um, but here's how close it was. The margin of victory was, um, point zero four three. is it, well, I'll just say it, 43 thousandths of a second at speeds of like 225 miles an hour is what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Now that, that distance now, just to give you an idea, at the time in 92, the scoreboard there at, at the Indianapolis 500, they didn't even have that kind of speed. To, they didn't have that, that measurement of, oh, wow, of, of time. time. So that the, you know, it said the interval, the uh, interval between like the first and second place car. Sure. The interval read zero seconds. Ah, because it would usually go down to what, hundredths? Uh, no, no, actually it read point zero seconds. Oh, so wow. it was up to tenths of seconds. And uh, it just had never been, you know, Necessary up until that point. Now, I mean, if you just think about this, the the Indy cars they travel at a length of a like a football field in like one second at that speed. Right. So that's a huge distance. I mean, if you envision that in your in your mind, how far a football or how long a football field is, that's one second of travel. So when you're saying that these cars, well, they finished, uh, you know, within one car length of each other. You know, they were they were side by side. They were abreast during the during the final mm-hmm. the final moment there. Um, that margin of victory is extremely tight. Well, let's go ahead and play the clip. They make the turn for home now. On the main stretch, Scott Goodyear closes in. He looks for a place to come by. Scott Goodyear drives it, but no. I believe that's the closest finish in Indy history. Closer than the race 10 years ago with Gordon Gark. John Gark beat Rick Mears 10 years ago when Little Al was new to this track. And now, Al Unser Jr. is a winner. If you're watching this, now I know you listen to it, but right. if you're if you're watching this, and I encourage you to watch it, yeah. you'll notice at the end of the, this thing that you know during the live coverage of the event, they didn't actually show the finish. Yeah, because they're like, what? Huh? No, it's so strange. It was like they were on the outside edge, up by the uh, by the flag, mm-hmm. the flagman. Right. And as he waves his flag, there's a guy with a card in the way as well. But for whatever reason, the camera didn't follow the cars across the line. I, I never, I've never understood this. Now you had to wait until. A few minutes after the race, and then they mm-hmm. finally got to a better view of, um, because the, the people at home, they only heard what happened. They only heard who was the victor. They didn't see it happen right. until several minutes after the race when they went to an infield shot, which clearly showed who took the victory. 
Right, because of the angle of that shot. Exactly, so. exactly. So just an, an incredible, incredible finish. I mean, so Little Al ends up with the victory, mm-hmm. but just barely. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Yeah, just just barely. And one, one thing that gets me about racing, and I hope we don't get hate mail for saying this, um, this is going to come up in a later, in a race we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, no amount of training will absolutely guarantee you immunity from bad luck. It's, it's, it's completely true. That's true. Or, uh, or you know, maybe just a dumb move from someone else. You know, you're trying to drive as defensively as you can. And, and the car uh, in front of you flips. Exactly. You know, it's just, it, there's a point where the momentum just takes over and that's, you just have to let it play out. All that, all that energy has mm-hmm. to just dissipate and then be done and that's it. You just have to let it go. Right. All right. So, you know what? I've got one quick thing that I need to mention here yeah. that's related to this because I mentioned this is the, fi- the closest one to finish, right? Yes, you did. Now, in 2003, so we're talking uh, 11 years after this, uh, there was the closest IndyCar 1 2 3 finish ever. And uh, this one is even tighter than the 1 2 finish. Do you have some numbers for me? I do. There were there were three cars that finished, and I, I tell you, Ben, this is a this is a true photo finish. I mean, even looking at the photo, it's kind of like you almost have to squint to look at it to see who won. It's that close. The the margin of victory in this one was nine. Now the last one was what, forty three thousandths of a second. That was pretty tight. That's tight. The margin of victory in this one, ninety nine ten thousandths of a second. 
99 of a second was the uh, was the thing. They finished three wide at the finish line. This is in Chicagoland in 2003. Uh, the race was the Delphi Indy 300, so it was the IndyCar series. And uh, it was Sam Hornish Jr., Scott Dixon, and Brian Herta finishing in that order. But mm-hmm. if you watch the the uh, the clip of that one now, this one is kind of an, a bonus add-on thing that uh, we didn't really set up. But um, the, the video is really poor on this one. I, for whatever reason, the only thing online that I could find was like a – it looked like it was dubbed from a VHS or something. Yes, we're probably going to skip the clip on I, this one. I would think so, yeah. It's just – but they, they finished literally inches apart at the – I mean, the nose of their car – was inches were inches apart off the line. Ninety nine ten thousandths of a second. It was yeah exactly. The and first. Uh, that's the if anybody is thinking that name sounds familiar, yes, that's the same Brian Herta we mentioned in our first uh, our first story on the Corkscrew Pass. Exactly. Yeah. So he's been involved in a couple of uh, dramatic racing moments here. You know what? Since you brought up drama, maybe we can uh, go to something a, a little bit dramatic. This is this is kind of a sad one. Yeah, it's a sad one. I don't, I don't know how much time we'll spend on this one. Not a whole yeah, lot, because we've, yeah. we've talked about this, I think, in the past, haven't we? Yes, we have. Okay. We have. We've talked about this. This is the 2001 Daytona 500. Yeah, and uh, I guess the way I, I qualify this one here is it's a long-awaited victory for one driver, right? Right. And uh, the end of a career for another one, uh, the end, uh, the death of a NASCAR legend, really. Yeah, really. So this is this is Michael Waltrip. He's the victorious one, and it took him a while to get there. Yeah, it happened at Daytona Beach um, in 2001, and uh, a while, that's uh, that's an understatement, Ben. Yeah. Now, he had, gosh, look at this. Michael Waltrip had 463 starts up to this point um, with no win. Yeah, that's that's uh, as many that's more episodes than we have. 463, <laughs> 463 NASCAR starts. No, no wins. wins. No wins. I mean, maybe he's got a second place thrown in there. I don't even know. Yeah. But, uh, but no wins to this point. Now, now in this particular race, uh, he led for just 27 laps of that 200, mm. 200 lap race. So, you know, he didn't lead for a lot of that race. He was right. somewhere back in the pack. Um, but what made this really, really interesting is that now a couple things really. Um, his brother, Daryl Waltrip, mm-hmm. who we've also mentioned earlier in this podcast, yeah, he happened to be, he was the announcer for the race. Now, he's a NASCAR announcer, obviously, but he gets really choked up in seeing his brother just about to take his first NASCAR win at the Daytona 500, which uh-huh. is, you know, it's a, that's a big deal. That's a, that's that's a pinnacle. That's, you know, that's huge. A, that's yeah. a major major win for somebody. So he's he's getting very emotional during the last lap. He's cheering him on. Mm-hmm. You know, through the whole thing, he's he's coaching him from the announcer's booth. You know, like come on, come on, Mikey. You know, you got you got it. Do you, you want to play it. a clip of it now? I do. You got him, man. You got him. Come on, man. Come on, baby. Come on. Get him in the fold. Get him in the three car. Oh, big trouble. Big wreck behind him. To the flag. Come on, Mikey. You got it, man. You got it. You got it. You got it. But there's something else that happened. Yeah. Now, as you heard, you know, in, in turn four, there was a uh, quite a pile up, and uh, and what happened was now that every everybody probably knows at this point that was right. the uh, that was the infamous wreck that uh, that took out 
a NASCAR legend, Dale Earnhardt. That was his. Uh, that's the wreck that did it right there. Um, but you know, one thing is that you know you'll hear in in Daryl Waltrip's voice the, the excitement and the you know the the thrill of the victory. Right. Um, also, a little bit of concern. You know what's going on in in turn four, and you may think like, well, that you know he's he's not really caring too much about what's going on in turn four. But when you look at Earnhardt's wreck, and I think anybody can agree this didn't look all that serious right people did not know that there was a death on the road no no this was that wasn't known for some time as a matter of fact mm. i mean it was it was known that it was serious later and i'm sure that at the track word got around quickly right uh now the fans the guys in the booth i don't know if they knew early on or not i'm not sure exactly when everything happened but you'll hear um daryl you know he's just so excited for his brother's his brother's win and you can see that you know that there's the whole victory circle thing going on and you know it's very exciting and everything but no one really knew i mean if they did um you know it wasn't made official it wasn't announced at that point that Earnhardt was already dead at that point i mean that and that that accident it didn't look as severe as it ended up being if you use paper you're a human but if you choose paper you're a papertarian Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. My I didn't sister. know we were going to go there on this. <laughs> People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy. Yeah. Right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, okay, our first Indy 500 of the two that I want to wrap up with here um, comes to us from the uh, 2011 Indianapolis 500. And uh, 
I guess the best way to title this one is it's an unexpected win number two for Dan Weldon, right? Yeah, and uh, one one of the reasons that it's unexpected is because the person that they thought might be able to uh, take the prize here actually crashed. Yeah, yeah. But, but is... non-fatal crash. No, no, non-fatal, so. but but just a heartbreaking moment at, Indy, oh, at the Indy 500. Yeah, because he was a rookie. Completely shocking. Yeah, because here's J.R. Hildebrandt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a 23-year-old rookie driver from California. He's on his way. He's got, I mean, it, it looks like he's got this thing in the bag, right? Yeah, he's super far ahead. He looks, the, the yeah. only other person is uh, Dan Weldon. Again, 23-year-old rookie, Dan Weldon, who's way behind. You know, yeah. no, this is how far Dan Weldon was behind. He wasn't really even mentioned in the final lap, if you notice, until the finish. I mean, until that point, he was so far behind, it was just not even thought of. So the whole last lap, really, is all about J.R. Hildebrand, the, the announcer audio, in that, uh, you know, they say they've got half a lap to go, you know, and they're mm-hmm. getting all excited. They're saying, you know, things like, does he have enough fuel to go the distance? You that's know, that's the big ex- question. That's the excitement. So you're thinking, like, okay, there's a little bit of that involved, a little drama there, but probably not. But you know, you're thinking, done deal. Yeah, it seems okay. And then they say something like, all right, he's got half a lap to go. He's got just half a lap to go to become the Indy 500 champion. And uh, then he comes around the final turn. So he, he gets into, you know, the fourth turn. He goes just a little bit too wide because he's passing a slower car. Yeah. And I don't know if you've watched Indy ever in the past, but mm-hmm. if you go just a little bit too wide into into any of the turns, you get off into a gray area that they call the marbles. Yeah, and that can be a punishing experience. Exactly. And the marbles are, are just the tiny little bits of rubber that have collected on the ins, uh, the outside edge of a turn right. where uh, you know the wheels, the rubber is scrubbed off of the wheels, and it makes these tiny little balls of rubber that are just like, like marbles. They're super slick. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's just nothing you could do to control your car. At that point, you've you've lost traction with the road. And uh, so he's coming around turn four, and again, just two feet, a little bit too far to the right, and he just slams into the wall hard. Yeah, just a few feet can even just one foot can make a huge difference. And no one can believe it. I mean, the crowd, you know, the crowd's on their feet at this point. They're they're cheering yeah, for they're this, like pre-cheering. This is a rookie driver that's going to take the Indy 500 in 2011. It's a great story. And, uh, you know, people are super excited. The announcers are excited. You know, it's all happening. It's all coming together for this guy. Mm-hmm. He slams into the wall, and no one can believe it. They're all, you know, there's there's this moment where no one's like, everybody's like, well, what's what's going to happen here? Yeah. He's got three wheels left. He's sliding along the outside wall mm-hmm. on the main stretch, and he's headed towards the finish line. And it looks like he's going to win, even though he's still grinding his car against the uh, the the, uh, the wall. I think he's still on the on the throttle at that point. Right, yeah, let's uh, go ahead and play the clip just just a little bit. Strikes here, they come again through the final two corners. J.R. Hildebrand. There's more traffic. He's got to get around the left. Traffic. second the last two years wins when J.R. Hildebrand hits the wall coming out of four just as Sheffield did. What a tremendous finish. What a drive for Weldon. So you see, or you hear rather, that you know as he as he's making his way or he's grinding his way towards the finish line, 
welding comes up from nowhere and passes yeah. him with literally like, I'm going to guess like a hundred feet before the finish line. He passes him and wins. And I'll tell you how unexpected this was and how quickly all this happens. The announcers don't even realize that Weldon has won the race until Weldon is almost into turn one. So he's already like seconds past the, the finish line. They're like, yeah. I, I think Weldon just won. I think he <laughs> or something like that. You know, there, it's just, a, it's an amazing moment. And, you know, of course, Hildebrand does cross the line. In yeah. fact, he, he crosses the line and the car continued. The momentum takes him all the way into turn one where he hits the wall again hard. Yeah. Which is, Tragic. I mean, not tragic, but you know, it's it's awful Sad. that it happened again, again. He did survive. Yeah, but he is so. You can just see when he gets out of the car, he is just heartbroken. I mean, there's. I mean, wouldn't you be? And the crowd feels for him. Yeah. The announcers feel for him. He was just. He was literally like, I'd say, a couple hundred yards away from winning the Indianapolis 500 as a rookie. That would have been enormous for his career. And uh, let's do some background on Weldon, though, because this was. Uh, his second Indy 500 victory, but um, for the past two years, Weldon had finished second. So I think that gave him uh, a lot of motivation there. Yeah, it gave him quite a boost in his ego, I'm sure, at that point, you know, to win the uh, win the 500 for the second time, and uh, and also, you know, just that, you know, this is this is the big one. In well, but you know, getting getting second place is yeah, sure. Especially if you're in if you're in racing, getting second place is something to that everybody else is going to tell you to be very very proud of but you know as a racer you'll be okay with it yeah, you know, yeah how long can you be okay it's with never it? quite the same as when you're uh, when you're holding that Borg Warner trophy and it's got your face on it you know mm-hmm. that's really cool but uh you know one sad note here sad is that note. is that this this victory in the Indy 500 now you know there's all this excitement around it you know everybody's cheering for Dan Weldon and you know there's they're showing his wife they're showing everything you know it's it's really really exciting yeah this is just a few months before uh, his fatal crash at the uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway in October of 2011. So, you know, we're just several months away from that at that point. And, uh, it's just, it's, again, it's just tragic to see it. But, you know, mm. interesting to note that, you know, all of this happens so quickly in, in racing like this. I mean, you're, you're on the top of the world at one point, and the next moment, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. Which brings us to our last yeah, of the last lap, which right? is very, very similar. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'll tell you, the only reason that this is our last one for today is because we're running out of time. That is, uh, you guys, that is literally the only reason. I mean, we've there's so many of these we can cover like this, and I, I think maybe we should in the future. Anyways, I'm all but, for it. But this is just one year later. A similar situation happens. It, it it plays out a little bit differently at the end. But but what we've got going for 2012 is, and oh, can I make? I've got to make one uh, very very serious comment here. Okay. Um, I've got to uh, I've got to extend a word of caution to anybody that's going to watch the video clip, and um, I I feel I don't know if you know what I'm going to say here or not, Ben, but um, there, there's it's not for the squeamish. Um, near the end of the clip, uh, just so people are prepared for this. Yeah. Uh, if you stick with the clip all the way to the end, um, and I apologize for this, I'm really sorry, listeners, but uh, you're likely to see Ashley Judd um, in the pits, and I just wanted to be prepared for that. So Ashley's there. She's the uh, she's the wife of Daryl Franchitti, so just be ready for that. Just brace yourself. Yeah, brace yourself. Be ready. <laughs> I don't know how you feel, but uh, there you go. You know, I'm I'm glad that you uh, put that word of caution in there. Um, we'll hope that everybody can move on yeah. with it and yeah. uh, and check it out. But let's not dwell on the bad stuff, Scott. <laughs> okay. Let's not dwell on let's not dwell on the unfortunate events. Let's talk They're, about the good ones. Okay, so here's the good one. 
All right. Uh, so, okay, here's the uh, the setup. There's a driver. His name is Takuma Sato. And he actually, you know, this is kind of the last few laps of the race. Um, he races up from, like, fifth place up into second place. He's running a strong race all day, right? Uh-huh. So he gets up into second place. And this is just a few laps prior to the finish. Um this is this is where it kind of everything goes wrong now. They're they're now I guess if we want to go back, I'm I'm kind of jumping around here, but but Tony Kanan, who gets involved in this as well, mm-hmm. um he and uh Scott Dixon and Dario Franchiti, who are uh both Chip Ganassi target teammates, you'll see they're driving like a similar car. Right. Uh they've traded positions a few times. Now Sato finally, like I said, he comes up to second place, right? Uh-huh. Uh, with about two laps to go. He has this great pass on Scott Dixon into turn one. Uh, which probably, now that I think about it, it probably gave him some kind of, uh, you know, um, I don't know, confidence, I guess, that he can make a pass in turn one like this again. Right, yeah, I think that's accurate. Now, we get to the final lap. Now, so he's made this pass, this amazing pass in turn one, you know, right. around Scott Dixon, and all he's got left to go is through Frank, Frank Heedy, mm-hmm. and he's got this thing wrapped up. And I don't know if you've, you're familiar with, like, the last race or the last lap of Indianapolis, but whoever is in second position, that's the place to be on the last lap in Indy if you're right. clo- if you're close if you're because within striking distance. I think that it's good that you say within striking distance because a lot of the first position uh, in the last lap is just trying to keep your place, man. That's right. Those other people are after you. You'll see that they're constantly watching their mirrors. They're trying to block, yeah. but not being uh, you know not going outside the rules. Um, you know, there's, it's a really tense position to be in, in the lead with someone right behind you on the last lap, especially mm-hmm. in this race, because so many victories have, have come and gone, I guess, in that first and second position, because there's something called the slingshot maneuver where they, they draft behind them and at the last second they, they yep. pull out to the side. And the, this is, happens on the final stretch often in Indy. They'll pull out to the side and just shoot past the, uh, the former leader for the victory. And it and happens I, I've all the time. I've seen you do that in traffic. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so right. uh, you've been watching, yeah. So, um, all right. So again, now according to the announcers at this point, Sato uh-huh. is what they call in the catbird seat. Now this is the, the place to be, right? Right. Um, they say that, you know, he's got, at this point, position two is where you want to be at that point, right? So, right. so he's in the right spot as they're entering the final lap. Now the white flag flies. Right. And, uh, the crowd, of course, is, you know, they're, they're super excited. They're standing. It always happens where they're standing at the end of the Indy 500. And I'll be honest, Ben, I'm standing at home. When oh, I watch yeah. the, the final seven or eight laps of Indy, uh-huh. I can't sit down. I, I pace, I, I, I uh-huh. wring my hands. I get very excited at the, in, at <laughs> the end the of the I do. I so, do. so Sato. I don't do that for any other race. Sato's got his, his dander up. He does, yeah. Say. He's, he's very excited because, you know, he's, he's raced up from fifth into second mm. and, you know, he just made that great pass. And he has a shot at one. So the white flag flies uh-huh. and, and way, way too early, he dives into turn one on the inside of Frank Heaty. And, uh, this, this could have been bad for multiple reasons, right. not for both of them. Yeah. Now, Frank Heaty gave him a full car width because he saw he was coming up on him, gave him a full car, car width just as he's supposed to in the rule book. Uh, the problem was um, Sato lost the rear end of the car. It just went a little bit squirrely on him. Yeah, and so he spins out. He spins out. Now, now, if you listen to when I said he's on the inside edge of Frankiti yeah. and, you know, the banking and the momentum and everything that's, that's pushing them out, normally that would take out Frankiti as well. It's a miracle when you watch this. It's a, it's just a miracle how he spins out, and it just happens exactly the right way that Frankiti is able to travel on his way, and Sato spins out right behind him, in between he and Dixon, 
into turn into the turmoil wall, and of course the day is over for Sato. Yeah, the caution comes out, mm-hmm. and you know the final lap is uh, is run under caution, and Frankiti's the winner. And this is funny because when I was watching this clip, oh, we should play the clip first. When I was watching this clip, it, it reminded me of... You've seen The Matrix, right, Scott? Yes, I have. It reminded me of uh, Neo, Keanu Reeves' character, sort of dodging bullets there yeah. with that with that, um, he, with that pass attempt. And, I and, think Frichetti was lucky. And the crazy thing is, is Frank Heaty, he he had like a... Uh, I mean, he, he really didn't have much control over it at that point. I mean, he was no. allowing the, the, pa- the pass to happen on the inside, which was He did dangerous. everything he was supposed to do. He really did. He, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Um, but for Sato to lose the car and not take out both he and Frankie and possibly Dixon behind him, yeah, um, that was amazing. I mean, it just was a it was a it was a clean wreck, I guess, if there's a way to put it. Um, you know, it was bad for Sato, great mm-hmm. for Frankie, great for Dixon, and of course Sato survived. Exactly, yeah, yeah, it was fine. It was just uh, he had just taken, you know, he just went into it way too early. He should have waited. If, you know, like turn three, maybe. Yeah, maybe turn three, turn four, even. Um, and I know it's tough to wait that long. And that was the thing is like, yeah. where do you make that move? He had, and I think that, you know, the, the earlier pass on Dixon in turn one probably led him to believe that, you know, he, he had what it takes to pass in turn one. Yeah, he had the momentum. Exactly. But there's so many places that are better to pass at Indy than turn one. I'll tell you that. I just, <laughs> I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that he, he pushed it that way. Um, and one last little note here, because I think we've uh, we've wrapped this up. We've spent mm-hmm. way too much time on these, probably. Oh, well, we um, hope everybody enjoyed it. I, I think it was an interesting one. It was I'm good. But, but here's an interesting note that, uh, you know, you'll you'll hear probably, I think, if you if you listen to this clip, is that all three Indy 500 wins for Frank Keaty have come under, under caution. He's won three times, in a, he's won three, not in a row, three times at Indy, all three under caution. Wow. Yeah, strange born. fact. He's a, so he's technically a cautious champion. A cautious champion. That's a good way to put it. So there's a there's a million more of these, Ben. We could do yeah. this all day. Yeah, and we want to, as a matter of fact. Uh, so please feel free to write to us and give us some more suggestions about heart stopping racing moments. You know what, Scott? I'm going to open it up and say it doesn't even have to be last lap stuff. Let us know about some of your favorite racing moments. Sure, and watch for some clips. We're gonna we're gonna post some clips somewhere. Yeah, we'll be I posting these. Where are they gonna be? The blog? They're gonna be at Facebook. Uh, let's shoot for the blog. Let's put them on the blog. We'll link it the to the Facebook and the Twitter. Yeah, why not? And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can befriend us. We do write back to people. We love hearing from you. You can also give us a suggestion for upcoming topics you want to hear more about. And you can send us an email at carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.
What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.